Okay, so again, my name is Jerry Provost Lyons, and I am going to be talking about Juliet Gordon Lowe, and it's located here in American Origins. This is the exhibition space. Have any, has anybody in the audience been a Girl Scout? <laughs> you don't count. Okay, great. So what I've done in the past several years is we do a lot of Girl Scout programs, and we have a lot of requests for them. And what's great about this particular portrait, it is not at the time, it's not done at the time when she had started Girl Scouts. This is done when she's a very, very young woman. She's 27. She had recently gotten married to William Lowe, very, very wealthy gentleman. And this portrait definitely shows that. Um, William Lowe, after Juliet was married to him, decided that Edward Hughes needed to paint her portrait. Edward Hughes um, was a court painter, if you could call it that, in, um, in England. He painted a lot of important people, some not-so-important people, definitely wealthy people, and he did some historical paintings. Um, so here we see her. She's 27 years old. She's been married about a year. And she looks like the belle of the ball which is certainly not how she necessarily grew up. She was born in the South in 1860, and her dad was a Confederate um, uh, officer. Her mom, on the other hand, was from Chicago. And actually, at one point, when Sherman came into Georgia, he actually stopped by the house to see if her mother was okay. Kind of an interesting aside story. So she did lead, you know, led a very privileged childhood um, her dad, after the war, had lost everything, but quickly regained that, that money. How, we're not sure. Um, but she actually, she and her siblings went to very fine schools, and it's in England that she had met um, William Lowe and married him, um, completely against her father's wishes at some point. You know, he just didn't think he was good enough for her. So we see her, she's 27, and what I usually do when I talk to Girl Scouts, because when they see her, sometimes they've seen this portrait, usually they've seen her when she's a very handsome woman in her 50s and 60s. So it's kind of shocking and jarring to them that she is um, so beautiful and so lovely, and oh, look at her, she looks like she's going somewhere, where is she going? So what I usually ask is, what do you see? And we usually go through, you know, the whole, every single detail and even, you know, who is it that we see? And then, you know, most of them, if they don't know, say Juliet Lowe. Um, we always discuss, you know, is she inside or is she outside? Because it looks like a very fantastical background. Um, there are some, there's some vegetation in the back. She's sitting or leaning against a railing or a post or a bench. We're not really sure. And there looks like a body of water up to the um, middle right-hand portion of the portrait if you're looking at it. It looks like water. And then she's got her gorgeous ostrich fan with a mother-of-pearl handle. Right here, and I always thought this was interesting, um, there's a detail on the bodice of this particular salmon-colored dress that I always thought was a ribbon. It turns out that it's, in fact, um, a swooping swallow. Her husband, when they were married, gave her a set of these, about five of them. And according to the records that I've looked at on this particular painting, she has about three of them on her dress. If 
you want to come up and take a look a little bit later. It's kind of a hard detail to see, but for so long I thought it was a ribbon until I finally read this information about her. So she's a, you know, a privileged woman. She lives in England. She lives in Scotland. She goes back and forth across the ocean quite a bit. She and her husband end up divorcing. Now, the scandalous part of this is he was actually involved with someone else. And he died before the divorce was final. And the woman who was his mistress received everything. Everything. So against her friends and family's better judgment, she actually said, that's not okay. And she received a settlement of $500,000 at that time, about 1905. So she fought, you know, a little bit hard and long for that. She doesn't start the Girl Scouts or become even interested or involved in it until about 1911. 1910, she meets Sir Robert Baden-Powell. They're both traveling from England to the U.S. on a ship, and they make acquaintance with each other. They're very, very, she's very interested in you know, what he's doing with young boys. That's so great. You know, you've started this organization. All of these young boys are joining. They're becoming useful. They're, they're being outside. They're outside. She, as a child, really liked to do all of those kinds of things. Be outside, make art, do, th- you know, do different things. And we have to think about, too, she starts this organization at a time when women don't have the right to vote, yet she's trying to promote... Um, you know, the usefulness of young girls, they're not just pretty simple things. They are important human beings and they can contribute. So she's interested in girl guides. She starts a troop over in Scotland at one of her homes for um, young girls who were not as fortunate as she herself. And then she comes back to the U.S. in about 1912. And she really decides that this is something she needs to bring to America. Um, There was a point in time when they were going to, I don't know if anybody's familiar with Campfire Girls, she kind of petitioned to see if she could get those two groups together, and when the administration of those two groups wasn't really jiving very well together, kind of the plans dropped. So in 1912, um, March 12, 1912, is when she begins the Girl Guides, which in 1915 becomes the Girl Scouts. Now, when she's doing this, she's not this pretty young girl. She is a um, 51-year-old woman looking for something greater to do than just take art classes and be a social, you know, a socialite. She really, really wants to help people. So that's how she becomes and does that. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to say or if you have questions for me. She's married here at 27. And then she was almost divorced at the age. 45. Yep. Another thing that I don't know if you know this, or maybe you know this from what you've read about her, um, she was actually part of it. She was deaf. To what degree? I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to tell. There aren't really perfect places or sources of information to find that out. She had a lot of earaches, and they treated that particular ear, and I'm not even sure which one it was, with silver nitrate. And it was too strong of a dose, but she wanted them to do it because she was really tired of not being able to hear very well. She really, really wanted a radical treatment. That's what they did, and she lost the hearing. Then at her wedding, she gets rice stuck in her ear, in the other ear. 
lets it fester. She's going on her honeymoon. She's got to go and lets it fester in there. When they go to remove it, the instrument that they used is, is too sharp and it deafens her. So she uses this, though. She doesn't let this, you know, keep her down. You know, she's still 27. She doesn't let this keep her down. She definitely um, is a go-getter wants to make things right for other people. In fact, as she's older and she's starting Girl Scouts, and she would ask certain women to help her with things, and the women would say no, she would pretend she didn't hear them and say, oh, right, okay, so you'll be there at what time, and I can't wait for you to be there. Very, very good promoter of her own cause. Anybody have any questions so far? How challenging was it for her as a woman to start a women's organization Right. I think that because she had money, and she used a lot of her own money to do this, at least until 1916, she funded it out of her own pocket. And then she started doing things like leaving the lights off, or, you know, or, you know, she had a bill system, you know, pay later, pay much later, and then pay never. You know, there was some kind of crazy bookkeeping that was going on in her head. She really, really put her whole life and soul into this. She also um, made sure that she talked to women of prominence. So one of Roosevelt's sisters was actually on a committee that helped to form the Girl Scouts as a national organization. So she was very much, she wouldn't take no for an answer. So I think that's pretty great. And, you know, another thing that she had done with the girls as, you know, as this organization is starting, she really believed in their health and well-being. So they were actually playing basketball. They had bloomers on, and she had, you know, strung a, um, a black uh, curtain around that basketball game so no one could see their, you know, their bloomers. So she really believed in, you know, the whole mind, body, spirit type of put yourself in there. And like I said, she didn't really seem to take no for an answer. She is the founder of the Girl Scouts. She must have some, but right, she wasn't, it wasn't really, really bad. But it was bad enough to where um, it was a little bit of a problem, but she didn't, it, she didn't seem to have it overcome. The other thing I've read about her, too, is that she spoke a lot because she couldn't hear, so she talked a lot. People always wonder, why is she talking so much? Because she couldn't hear. So she was doing a lot of the talking. But I can see her being a character. I mean, she looks very calm and staid and beautiful and just, like, picture perfect here. And she's just a very, very interesting woman. 